0: Magazine, covering Maine's boats, harbors, arts, and architecture since 1987. Bringing the coast as close as the mailbox, on the web at mainboats.com. It's just a few seconds before 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online everywhere at weru.org. Wabanaki Windows with your host Donna Loring is up next.
1: Welcome to Webenaki Windows. I'm your host, Donna Loring. Webenaki Windows is a monthly show featuring Webenaki perspectives, topics, and opinions, as well as interviews with Native artists, writers, and people of interest. We'll be having a follow up discussion today uh, on the topic of truth and reconciliation and uh, what has happened with this project uh, since we last spoke of it um, in November. Uh, last November uh, 2010, and uh, my special guest today will be um, Esther Adian of the Muskie Institute, uh, which is located at the University of uh, Southern Maine, and Denise Elpvader um, of the Passamaquoddy Tribe. Uh, we'll have uh, Denise on the phone. And uh, so first of all, talking about the uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Project, I'm going to uh, ask Est- Esther to uh, sort of refresh our memories on the project and uh, and tell us what the project is about.
0: Thank you, Donna. Good morning, everyone. Um, the main Wabanaki Truth and Reconciliation Commission process um, is one that has been worked on for the past three years. The state of Maine, Office of Child and Family Services, and state tribal child welfare staff came together in May of 2008 to discuss this idea of Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which is an independent body that will review documents and receive testimony um, from Wabanaki people who will talk about and share their stories of their experiences with state child welfare. Um, We've had some exciting developments uh, in the past month, on May 24th, at Indian Island, Penobscot Nation, the Wabanaki tribal leaders and the state tribal leader, Governor Paul LePage, signed a declaration of intent to create this truth and reconciliation process. It's it was a very historic event. Um, to our knowledge, there has not been a truth and reconciliation commission to deal with Native issues. Uh, in, in U.S. territory, and also to our knowledge, there has never been an effort like this that has been developed collaboratively between tribes and a state. So basically, the the basic action of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission we will we will seat a commission of folks that will spend some time in each of the tribal communities and the state community, doing research um, and hearing testimony from people that will talk about their experiences with state child welfare. The three purposes of this process, uh, number one is to create a common understanding of what happened and what is happening. <clears throat> number, The second purpose is to um, have some recommendations. The, the Commission will come up with recommendations for system reform and how things can be improved for Wabanaki children and families that receive services from the Office of Child and Family Services. And the third, and not the least, uh, purpose is for healing for Wabanaki people.
1: Yeah. Um, Denise? Yes. Are you there? I'm here. Okay. Uh, do you have anything you want to add to this uh what were we just talking about the beginnings of this?
2: Yeah, um, I just want to say that um, this process from the very beginning, which has been really very lengthy, lengthy, it's been um, a very um, invigorating process, but it's also been a very um, painful and uh, difficult process for all of us, both those of us who sit on the convening group as Native people and those who sit on the group um, with the state. We have a relationship with each other that is very um, intimate. We have very close ties and friendships, um, which is why we have been able to do the work that we are doing. It's not just um, out of because we respect each other and have a good working relationship. There's no way we could do this work if we didn't um really have a um total human um experience with each other that has allowed us to to be really open, honest and um frank about what's been going on. And you know, like anything else, you're gonna if you, you really care enough about somebody or something, you're gonna be willing to invest in it. And if you, you don't care uh, then you'd, you're not willing to put in the time and the effort, and I think that because that we care about the issue and each other, that's the reason why every one of us is so invested and so willing to work hard and go through you know what's really going has been, and it is going to continue to be a uh, painful, difficult um, task for us, but it's also going to be very rewarding and healing at the same time.
1: Now, this, uh, the Reconciliation uh, Commission, um, you're, you, you mentioned something about the convening group. Now, that's made up of, uh, of tribal members and state members?
2: Yes. It's made up of um, child welfare workers from all of the Wabanaki tribes. It's made up of Staff from the Office of Child and Family Services, um, staff from the Muskie School, and myself, and I'm staff of the American Friends Service Committee, and also staff from the Maine Indian Tribal State Commission.
1: But you're also working with the uh, Maine Indian Tribal State Commission, is that correct? Yes. Um, Esther, could you talk a little bit about your uh, work with the uh, we'll call them mitsic cause that's their acronym acronym so yep.
0: uh mitsic is the only intergovernmental um, body uh that that is comprised of representatives from the state that are not um appointed by the governor and representatives from the tribes that are appointed by their tribal leaders and so mitsic we approach mitsic um in the spring and ask them if they would be the parent organization for the truth and reconciliation commission itself the commission is this this is quite a big task to create a, a truth and reconciliation commission it's going to need its own funding it's going to need its own dedicated staff to be able to um, give it the attention that it deserves mitzik has agreed to be the parent organization for the commission and they feel that it, it, it directly correlates to their mission, which is around the Claim Settlement Act and the Implementing Act. And really, there is nothing more crucial and actually nothing more contentious than issues around child welfare when we're talking about our children. So it's very appropriate for MITSIC to be doing this. Um, They unanimously approved be in the parent organization, and we're very, very grateful to them.
1: And if I remember correctly, you went to each tribe, the uh, tribal chiefs and the tribal councils. You went to the uh, the Micmac, the Maliseet, the uh, Penobscot, and the two Passamaquoddy communities, and uh, got their uh, signature on the uh, on your resolution.
0: Yes, we started that process um, in the spring as well. We members of the convening group traveled to each of the uh, communities and met with tribal chief and councils, and each each uh, council signed a resolution, given their chief, uh, supporting their chief, and given their chief or governor permission to sign this declaration of intent. The same process we had begun that process with the Baldacci administration, and then when it was apparent that um, he was no longer going to be continuing as the governor, uh, he, to his credit, very generously wrote a letter to Governor LePage asking him to endorse this this process that that his administration had been working on and Governor LePage um, really embraced it and he came to Indian Island on May 24th and signed the declaration with the other leaders.
1: Now, yeah, I think that was a really in some respects a shock to a lot of people to have uh, Governor LePage actually you know, go to this event and and sign the in the declaration, um, what did you think of that on that day? I well, if
0: anybody ever saw the pictures in the paper, I had <laughs> the biggest grin on my face. I was so <laughs> elated and so excited and happy, and I it just really confirmed um, and validated my values and my views about people, and and how this is like Denise said, a human experience, and when. When we were worried about where the election was going and what was going to happen and who was going to be the new state leader, um, <clears throat> at the convening group we all made a pact that we would not climb the ladder of inference, as we call it, that we would not that we would take give people the benefit of the doubt, and and not make assumptions and, and prejudgments about folks and have faith in people, and really uh, that's really what it took. Governor LePage sat with members of Mitsik and Denise, the executive director and the chair of MITSIC, and Denise as well, who's a uh, a commissioner on MITSIC. And they had some some really good conversations. I think Denise could probably speak to this a little bit more since she was there.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask her next. Go ahead, Denise. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, yeah, uh, the first meeting that we had with Governor LePage, um, you know, I remember just sitting there thinking how easy he was to talk to. Um, I really didn't have a lot of opinions. I mean, I read quite all the political stuff in the newspapers and stuff. And when we sat down and talked with him, he um, was so very easy to talk to. And so, um, you know, it was very comfortable. Um, He was um, just um, really a nice man to me. You know, I'm I'm thinking... I, I. I'm not sitting here in front of the governor of Maine, I'm sitting here talking to this very nice man who has some idea, somehow, some way, of what we're talking about, and is really interested in being supportive in this, and when we left, I, you know, I still was unsure whether or not he was going to sign it, you know, and um, he didn't make a commitment one way or the other, um, and I... Like Esther, um, I had been holding my breath you know, from the beginning when we made the decision that we wanted this to be a reconciliation between the tribes and the state, not between DHS of, the, of Maine and DHS of the tribes. And um, we, we were going to do everything we could to make that happen. We thought it was so important. And so I've been, I had been holding my breath, and even when I heard he was going to sign, I just thinking, you know, something's going to happen, somebody's going to talk him out of it, he's not going to be able to show up, and it was almost like right until the minute that we were in the um, room, in the ceremony, that I finally took a breath, and 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 as I took a breath, I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe this is going to happen, I'm just shocked, Um, how can this really happen, and when he got up and spoke um, to us, I, I just I listened to him and I looked at him, and to me, he was a, a man um, who was just a man who was standing there talking about doing what he knew was the right thing to do. There were no politics, no, um, this, you know, I'm going to get crap from this group, or, I'm, you know, this, it, it, it was just uh, Paula Page as a man doing what he knew um, was the right thing to do. And he, I, th- I give him extreme amount of credit for um, signing the Declaration and working with us, I, and, and the same with all the other tribal leaders. Because to me, I, they are putting their trust in us to do the best we can. And to us, the best we can is in the interest of the children. And, you know, it's really a leap of faith for all of the tribal leaders and for the governor of Maine to sign this and put it back in our hands and say, here, we have faith in you. Um, so, I, um, you know, I really, I, I really give um, Governor L. Page great credit, and I also give the staff of Office of Child and Family Services an enormous amount of credit uh, because they're the people on the front lines of this work that's going to take place, and um, you know, it's going to it's going to go where it needs to go. This process happened um, because it needed to happen, and it happened in a way that wasn't planned. And you know, I work for American Friends Service, the Quakers, and they have this saying that you know, whatever needs to be done, uh, the way will open, and the work can get done. And this is sort of how this happened. You know, the, the door just opened, and we walked into it, and we had our hearts and our minds in the right places. People didn't have hidden agendas, and it just um, is an amazing experience for me, especially as a Native person in the state of Maine who has you know, encountered um, numerous amounts of racism and abuse and um, violence because of the color of my skin. So for me to be standing there um, as an equal partner with Governor LePage signing this declaration, um, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a huge, if you want, visual of what the possibilities are in the state of Maine if people are willing to um, open, listen, share, and um, thought being judgmental, it, that is what, I think those are the key things that um, we did in our working group, and that's why we got to the place that we're at right now. I'm just so proud of everybody.
1: So it's, it's a great uh, um, model, I guess, for, for working together.
2: Absolutely. So. I mean, the most, to me, the most contentious relationship in the state has been historically the relationship between the state DHHS and the tribes. And, and that's been a long time running, you know, and there have been court battles. And so if, if to me, if the state DHHS and the tribes can get to this point where we can work and do this historical piece of work, then anything is possible. Then anywhere else in the state of Maine, this can be replicated, this can be done. I have no doubt about that whatsoever.
1: Esther, do you have any more comments on that? Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I know I want to um, give credit
0: to Chief Francis, who was uh, the first person when when we approached all the tribes. He his first comment was, "This can be a model for Absolutely. other areas of tribal-state relations," and he was very excited about that idea. And we we also are envisioning um, being able to produce some products, uh, so that some visual products, some video products, so that other tribes and states around the country can go through this process as well. I mean, there is that saying, as Maine goes, so goes the nation. And we really have been on the forefront. Even in 1999, when the ICWA work group was um, formed, the Indian Child Welfare Act work group, which was a collaboration between the state and the tribes, and we developed a day-long training to help state child welfare workers um, understand the the spirit of the Indian Child Welfare Act so that they could better uh, follow the letter of the law and be in compliance with ICWA. that was the first that we know of too. That that states and tribes have collaborated like that. So it just goes to show that that good things can happen when people work together.
1: Okay. Yeah, the uh, the state uh, motto is it's a uh, "dirigo," it's Latin for "I lead." Um, so let's let's hope that uh, we can lead in in this uh, particular area. Uh, now the difference here. Which, which sets this uh, TR, Tribal Reconciliation uh, Commission apart from all the other efforts. Uh, what what would that be? There's a, there's a few key things.
0: Well, there have been other TRCs that, I mean, around the world. The most famous one is in South, uh, South Africa with apartheid and reconciling from the genocide of uh, the indigenous people there. Um, And there have been some TRCs in the United States. The most notable one is uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, We've had the privilege, Denise and I and uh, Teresa Duby from OCFS had the privilege and honor of going to Greensboro in May to learn from what they did. Um, We've really taken advantage of all of the lessons that they, they are sharing with us from going through this process. But the difference. I see um, with this TRC is it's being developed collaboratively. Usually uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commissions are are created and formed uh, with the goal of nation-building to try to get folks um, feeling better about each other <laughs> and about some horrendous civil rights violation that may have occurred in their country and this one this one is a lot different. It's more grassroots. It started in the, I guess, middle of management OCFS folks and tribal child welfare folks. So it was grassroots in that. Um, and the tribal child welfare people are mainly people who are from our communities. So they've lived there. Uh, and and they're part of those communities. So it was grassroots on that level. And like Denise said, you know, we had a vision of bringing it up to the government to government level to really. Uh, to really take it where it needs to go. And it's just, it's amazing, it's historic. Uh, it has not happened as far as we've been able to to find out. It's not happened like this ever. It's very unique.
1: Yeah, I, the, 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 uh, the historic uh, nature of the event you know, really struck me on that day because you know, here's a, a Maine governor actually, you know, in person coming to the island and signing a, a, a document, a resolution uh, of, of you know commitment to this to this project,
0: and and really the like Denise said, we can't give them enough credit because they they're opening themselves up. They have a lot. They, they have a lot to risk. That there's a lot at stake. They're saying here we are. You know this is this is our history. This is our practice. Examine it and, and look at it. And um, it's really it's a big deal. Mm. And if, when you think about it, a lot,
2: all—not almost, but every other—truth um, and reconciliation um, has been done as a result of um, some extreme violence that is current, or or at time of war, where there is great pressure for something to be done, and that is not the case here. Um, you know, there was nobody pressuring saying, oh, my God, you know, LePage or the state or the tribes, you know, you need to do this right now. This is a horrible situation. It actually came about because a group of people who really care about the work that we do and care about each other sat down and said, okay, um, let's take a look at what's going on um, and how can we fix it. Okay, the best way to fix it, is that we really need to go back and take a look at ourselves, take a look at the past, take a look at what we've done and what we're doing today. And then, only then, can we move forward and fix it and make it better. And that was a decision that we made without pressure from anybody or anywhere on the outside. And it was only made because we all wanted to do what was in the best interest of children. And that has always been at the forefront whenever we have a conversation. If we do this, this, and this, is this in the best interest of the children? If it is, okay, that's what we're going to do. If it's not, then we need not to do that. And um, so it's been a, a, a real, totally different experience than how other Truth and Reconciliations have taken place, um, and it's just because it's, it's been done um, with people who are just working through their hearts more than they are through their heads.
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it sort of begs the question to me, uh, was there a an, an event or, or an happening that uh, all of a sudden, sort of like one of those aha moments where all of a sudden you say, you know, we, we really need to do something. And was there a, a situation that sort of came to the fore and you said, oh, we got to do something about this?
2: No. That's, that's the interesting, that's the, that's, that's the, that's the m- remarkable thing about this is that uh, we have been working together for about 12 years now, and we've been doing great work about making changes in the system and changes that have to do with, you know, tribal children, and we would, we would work wonderful together, and then something would happen, and we'd be like, um, okay, how do we get past this? Uh, we would get past it, we would move forward, and then something else would happen and we weren't able to identify what was you know what that blockage was for us, what it was that kept somehow getting in the way over periods of time you know and a few times we would say, okay it 's racism, do we need to deal with racism or okay, it's oppression, do we need to deal with oppression?" and it was actually the um, the uh, Office of Child and Family Services, they are the ones who came up with this idea that, you know what, there is a problem here and we need to deal with it. And this is a way to deal with it. Um, and I think Esther knows the history about how that idea came forward.
0: Yeah, um, on the ride here, Donna and I were talking and, and she said, some people believe in coincidences but there's no such thing as a coincidence. Right. And the story of how this TRC idea became, um, came to fruition is uh, my, <coughs> my supervisor, Marty Zangi from the Muskie School, was with Dan Despard from OCFS. I believe they were at a Jim Casey convening, maybe in St. Louis. And there was a group that was talking about community reconciliation. And I think it might have been an aha moment for them when they looked at each other and said, wow, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> this, this could be something that could be useful at home in Maine between the tribes and the state. So that, that was their aha moment. But the, the in, what Denise is talking about, those dynamics, we had been working together since 99 and had developed a really good relationship when there were issues um, around child welfare cases, Indian child welfare cases we had a better avenue of communication and a better way to resolve those issues and the tribal child welfare folks would say you know it feels like i'm hitting this invisible wall we can get we get so so far there's progress but then there's something and like denise said they couldn't articulate it and you know, okay maybe it's racism like denise said maybe it's oppression but when dan and marty came back with this idea and set up the initial uh, meeting we we met with jill williams from the anders family fund who is the funder for this project thus far she was also the executive director of the greensboro trc and she came to talk to us in may of 2008 and everybody was was very committed and on the same page about yes we need we don't know what this is we haven't really wrapped our mind of what the it is what we're reconciling around (laughs) (laughs) but we know we need to do this and it was just it was more of a like Denise said, it wasn't in our minds. It was more of a, an in, uh, intuition, I guess, or a gut feeling, and it really um, validated my belief in, in the human spirit, and and humanity, and how we need to trust our own thinking, and we need to trust our hearts.
1: You know, I sense a I sense a uh, huge infusion of energy here, <laughs> where uh, where y'all are all souped up and ready to move. Uh, so. That be everything all this being done all every all the tribes signing off, and the Governor of the state of Maine showing up and signing your document, which uh, we are going to read in a minute here, but uh what what's the next what are you going to do next okay,
0: the next I know, and as I was standing behind this when they were signing the document and I'm standing behind there, and i'm so excited and so happy and elated, it also hit me, my God, we've got a lot of work to do <laughs> <laughs> um the the very first Next steps, um, and they're, they're not in some of them are kind of overlap, but one of our uh, next steps is to really uh, make this transition to the Maine Indian Tribal State Commission and really get them as engaged um, as as they can be in this process. Um, and that we envision having uh, MITSIC commissioners involved in different areas of this work in different subgroups. Uh, the next the very next step is we need to produce a mandate and the mandate is basically the recipe for the the commission it will give the commission it, it'll set forth how the commission is going to be structured what their meetings are going to be like all of those details as well as where what kind of information they'll need what kind of interviews how they'll conduct interviews how they'll do testimony where things will be archived all of those details will be in the mandate and it sounds like a daunting task but I I think it's a lot it's going to be a lot easier than it was writing the declaration the process of writing the declaration took almost 2 years it, at one point it was 6 pages long <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. but the pro- what we realized was as important as the product the declaration is that piece of paper it pales in comparison to how important the process was. The process of us writing that and all of uh, the work we did together and collaboratively really um, brought us to where we are now um, with being one with each other in our minds and in our hearts. Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, If you could hold that thought just for one minute. okay. Uh, you're listening to WERU, Wabanaki Windows. I'm your host, Donna Loring. Our topic today is the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Uh, For the Wabanaki children um, here in Maine. And uh, I will open this up to uh, calls, but I want to finish our discussion um, about next steps. So uh, go ahead, Esther, if you'll continue.
0: And after the mandate is written, then we will go forward with choosing the commission, selecting the commissioners. Uh, Right now, our idea, we're envisioning a commission of five people. And it will be five people that. All of the leaders that signed the declaration have faith in, have trust in, and believe have integrity. And these folks uh, will be the ones that will be visiting each tribal community and the state community doing research, taking testimony, and they will make the recommendations uh, about systems reform and improving practice so that, that's a big piece of work. An- another piece of work that is, it's almost like we got all these plates spinning in the air. Another piece of work is the documentation and the archiving of the process. We, um, we're working collaboratively with Seven Eagles Media Production Company. I think that's the, the right way to say it. Um, and they are committed to helping us archive it with video and to produce some documentary tools so that we can, other people can replicate this process. We also have uh, developed a website. It's maintribaltrc.org, And we have a lot of information on that website that
1: folks can go to. There's an email address there, too. Denise, you have anything to add to the uh, description of the the next steps?
2: Uh, No. I mean, the work for all of us. truly is just beginning.
0: Maybe um, you can talk a little bit about the community groups, Denise.
2: Yeah, um, we, um, we have uh, um, a lot of work, um, little pieces and big pieces that need to be done, and some of it is work that is going to be um, very um, personal and um, healing, and we are developing um, Support groups in every native communities and OCFS is going to um, um, develop a support group for them for themselves so that when people start coming forward with their stories that they will have um, a place where they can either you know have somebody to talk to or get help if they need help because of they may be having difficulties after they tell their story because the same what happened to me was when i when I told my story back in um i think it was 99 for the training video um the first thing that happened i i i i agreed to tell my story which i didn't even know i had a story when they called me (laughs) and um that was the first time i had ever talked about what happened to me when i was in foster care and um i just i i sat there in front of a camera and i just started telling the story um from memory trying to piece together and uh Um, When I was done, I was like, oh, my God, I I, I didn't even, I've never, you know, talked about this before. I've never thought about it. Um, It wasn't something that I thought affected my life. Um, And then after I told my story, um, you know, a lot of things took place for me that um, were very difficult. And so we want to make sure that this time when people come forward to tell their stories, that they, were, they are going to have all the help that they need so that nobody will have to be left alone to suffer um, the consequences of what's going to come up for them when they tell their stories. Because, you know, when you're, when you're brought up um, in a, an environment that, number one, um, it's just you don't know where you are, who you are, why you're there, or why you were put there, and then you absolutely know that um, it's like you're taken from uh, one world and put into another world, not just moved from home to home or community to community. That in itself is very traumatic. And then you add to that some of the experiences that some people had while they were in these foster homes. And so you you have a group of people, you know, and it's not just Native people. It happens to non-Native people who, um in a different um, respect though but um, you have a group of people who start parenting children who don't know how to parent their children who don't know how to show love and affection to their children and their children in turn have your grandchildren who they don't know how to parent and you know nobody's talking about why it is that you know we're all behaving in such ways that, we don't even know how to care for each other or care for ourselves or do things that um, make life happy for other people around you. And then when I, I went and told my story um, and I started um, getting the help that I needed, um, I started, my whole life started changing and my, um, how I treated people and how I felt about people and how I looked at life and how I could see things that I could never see before and feel things that I could never feel before. It was a a difficult, long process for me, but it was something that um, is not only going to help me or has helped me, it's affected my kids and my grandchildren, and that's the healing part that we've been talking about that is going to take place when people start to tell their stories because once that door is opened, then you can't close it. Once it's opened, um, you know, there's going to be some kind of movement. And we want to make sure that that movement is positive and safe for people, that nothing bad happens to anybody as a result of coming forward and opening um, those floodgates that many, many people just have never in their lives talked about. And I have six sisters, and we've never ever, I'm 52 years old now, and we've never talked about it with each other. So there's just this is silence that if you don't talk about it, um, it'll go away and your life will be okay and you don't realize that your entire life and the lives of your children and the lives of your grandchildren have been so devastatingly affected by what happened to you. Um, So it's it's a risk. It's not going to be easy. We are going to do all the work and do the best we can to keep... um, make sure people feel safe and supported um, because it's so important for our communities that we go through this. You know, we get a lot of judgments from people on the outside when they look at us on the reservation. And, you know, I read the Bangor Daily News, sometimes the articles, <laughs> I mean, the comments after somebody writes an article about something going on in Native community and just the racism in, in the comments is just, you know, it's it's, it's hot wrenching but it also makes your stomach turn. And, you know, I'm hoping that as we talk about this process and we go through this and Esther and I continue to, you know, talk to people and explain why we're doing what we're doing, that other people in the state will start to have a conversation and will start to look at us as um, human, you know, um, We're human, and and we have a history, and we have a story, and we have a reason why some of the things happen the way that they happen. And and that maybe, hopefully, that my grandchildren will not have to go through some of the um, violence and the racism that I had to go through growing up. And that sometimes I still go through today because of the color of my skin.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's really, there's a generational effect here. Yeah. Um, and uh, people don't lots of times realize that, and, and even, the, even the, the people that it's happening to don't realize what the effect is and what the effects are on their children. That's right. Uh, and, until, you know, even, well, some people never realize it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, the question I, I have is, in this process, um, will there be uh, non-native participation in any of the uh, projects, or you mean in in any of the areas of, of uh, the what's happening? We need non-native. Uh, uh, oh, help? definitely.
0: Um, yeah. Our this is work that that we all need to do together. Um, oppression hurts everyone, and we. One of our goals is not only to educate the Wabanaki communities about this, but is is really one of our goals is to educate the the state community, so the average Maine citizen, um, so that they can understand what this means to them and how this affects them. Uh, when we talk about generational trauma, uh, you know, we will hear stories, uh, really heart wrenching and sad stories. We'll hear stories from Wabanaki people from their perspective of their experiences but we you know we also anticipate hearing from some of those caseworkers that were doing the very best they could with what they had and had the best intentions i really don't believe that um, there were the average caseworker you know had in their mind the same mentality that that drove the boarding school movement you know kill the indian save the man i i really think in you know before 1978 when the indian child welfare act was passed you know even what happened to denise i i i listened to her talk about being taken from pleasant point by those two caseworkers and i've listened to other people tell their story and you know they say this one man talked about his experience and he said i could see i could see the pain in their eyes for having to take us like that So we anticipate hearing testimony from from those people that that had the misfortune of being part of that system that so disproportionately took Native children from their homes.
1: Yeah, I mean, you talk about the the individual caseworkers being probably upset or or disturbed by what they had to do. Uh, But in a sense, Isn't that the product of the system Mm -hmm. of the institution itself, right? And Uh, with with the philosophy of kill the Indian and save the man, Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe not with those individuals, but with with those institutions, right? Like as I said, they
0: had I think they had the misfortune of being in that system that that was not perfect, Um, but institutions and systems are really just made up of people, and and if we can change people. Then we change systems and we change institutions. And, and the human experience that Denise talks about is really where the work needs to happen. It's, it's a, a work um, at the signing ceremony Dan Despard talked about, bringing it from your mind to your heart. And really that's the process that we've all gone through. Uh, whether we were non-Native or Native, or how we've been affected by this. And when we talk about generational trauma, um, we're also going to hear stories of strength, because we're still here. We're not supposed to be here, because we were targeted for destruction by by the people that colonized us. The policy against Native people was one of genocide. Uh, they needed us out of the way to exploit the resources, but we're still here. So there's there's also things to be celebrated and stories that need to be highlighted there too and how we survived mm-hmm. so the so the
1: key i guess is and the lesson from this is that it's people it is you know yeah, it's yeah. people and it's it's forgiveness and uh y- you know it's from the it's from the uh, the ground up actually from grassroots as you said earlier
0: yeah it is it's and uh, you
2: know Some people have said to me, you know, quite a few have said to me, um, you know, what about reparations? What about them paying for what they did? You know, um, what does all that mean to you? And, and, you know, to me, there isn't a million dollars that is ever, ever going to give me back my childhood, my humanity, my dignity, um, my wholeness as a person. Um, nothing is going to give me back, but this process is at least going to help me understand, accept, and move forward because of what happened. And um, for me, that's what it's all about. It's about human beings um, caring about each other, listening to each other, being non judgmental, trying not to be, because it's going to be hard for people. Um, I think in the state of Maine, not to be, um, oh, um, what I want to say, um, on the on, on put on the defensive. Um, yeah. It's it, and for people to try and and just you know open up their their hearts as well as their minds and and listen to the stories and realize that what happened. Um, happened to a human. It didn't happen to somebody considered to be um, not as human because of their color of their skin, which is you know, what racism is about, but somebody who is human, just like you are. Um, so um, for me, that, that's, that's the big piece of the work right
0: there. Um, this, this process has really impacted all of the members of the convening group on such a deep level Mm -hmm. it it has given us the um the strength and the um ability to 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 realize the potential that to be the people we were meant to be when we were born because everybody is born completely loving a zest for life and completely um, able to love and give give and receive love and Really, that it's 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 a process of love. Really, we have to we have that love for each other, and it, it's it's amazing. It's really hard to articulate, but it's been an amazing process. So the um,
1: reaching out, I guess, the outreach to the communities. Um, you 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 want community members to come forward and, and tell their stories.
0: Yeah, when um, we are have been working the past year. In establishing what we're calling community groups, so groups of folks in each tribal community that are the the people that are the go-to people when you need something, you know who to go to, and those folks are going to be working on developing um, a network of support in their community to support those who will be affected by the truth-telling, and the people that will be telling the truth definitely will be given testimony will be affected, but their relatives will be affected too. You know, we have some folks that might be sharing stories um, and and their parents are still alive and and they're worried about hurting their parents' feelings. Um, So to that end, when the the commission is seated in each community, we uh, envision giving people whatever avenue or method they need to share their story. Public testimony, written testimony, Private testimony with the commission, all of those venues will be available and and the support the network of support will be in place as well and we you know we're also mindful of doing this for the state community too, and like Denise said, the support group and figuring out how best to support those folks because it's it's a process that involves all of us it's not just a Wabanaki process.
1: Yep. So that if if an individual uh, wants to come forward and tell their story, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be made public. Right. 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 And then you would talk to that individual to see how they would be made comfortable in talking about their story. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And We're going to
2: make sure that there are, you know, it will probably be something that we put into the mandate that there will be different avenues available for people to come forward either. They can come to a public um, venue and tell their story. They can do it in private in front of the commission. They can do it in writing. They may have somebody else do it for them. um, But we're going to have different ways that people will be able to come forward that is most comfortable to them. And then they will have control over um, how their story is used other than um, for the report that's going to be written.
1: Okay so and I think I asked you this question that in our, at our last uh, time we talked about this uh, but do you, is there a lot of uh, people out there that you think want to tell this story or or that have stories to tell actually Do you want to answer that Denise so you want me
2: to I, I do I I do um since this I knew of a couple on this reservation before we started this process And as we started it, and um, I started a Facebook page about it, I had a few people come forward and tell me um, a little bit about their stories, and then most recently, after the sign-in and all the media attention, I have had more people come forward, and actually some young people who are in their mid-20s, who have said, you know, when I was little, um, I was put in a home, and I was was put in um, four different homes, and... I was really severely abused in the first one that I went to, but I never told anybody. Because Denise, can
1: you know speak bit. louder, please?
2: Yeah, um, they, they said that they have never shared their story because they've just put it in the back of their minds and um, figured that that was the past and it had nothing to do with today and they just didn't want to think about it. Um, so, yeah, people have been coming forward already about, um, and that I never even knew had ever been in uh, foster care.
1: Well, so it's, But there are people also who are really reluctant to tell their stories because of how it will affect other family members. Is that correct? That's
2: absolutely true. Oh, yes, definitely. That's one of the things that I hear most often is that,
0: yeah.
1: Esther, you have comments? For, for, those,
0: for those folks, that's why we um, really want to have any kind of um, venue available to them. So if people want to do a written testimony without their name that you know we want to make sure that that's an option for them yeah. whatever it it's really about the healing it's really about giving giving people this voice so that they can begin like Denise said she didn't even know she had a story to share and she would she, she said i remember once she had said she would do it a million times over at the time, she wasn't so sure. But now, after gone through all of this pain and uh, work that she's done, and she's in s- such a better place now, she said she would do it a million times over. And that, that, that's my goal for, for Wabanaki people and for, for state folks that were part of this, uh, part of the what happened, part of the past, You know, part of this truth is that they, they are able to have that peace uh, within themselves.
1: So we have a few minutes left um, now. Is there? I'm going to open this up within the last uh, five, five or six, seven minutes here for phone calls, uh, and uh, you can call in at one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Caller, uh, could you give me your your uh, first name?
3: Yes, this is the Red Man. How are you doing, Donna?
1: I'm doing good.
3: Yes. Um, I'm I'm grateful I had this opportunity of getting through because I was hoping you had more callers calling because this situation is very serious. I think, you know, when I saw LePage writing, uh, signing that declaration, um, it it kind of spooked me. It's like, oh, oh, here we go again. Um, I can't speak for the Maine Indians, um, but we have to look at history the real truth of history uh... my understanding is that the main tribes and other indian nations are are constantly continuing facing imminent intrusion of our culture values and our birthrights by powerful corrupt multinational corporations and also state government um, this, this situation with the welfare system should have never happened it should have never happened in the first place i think it's what's important is that indian people across this in maine and also in this country Has been proven in other states that Indians need to continue to stand up and say, "Okay, enough is enough." And you know, if it's what what I've been hearing the last 40 minutes of you women talking about, you know, some improvements and all, okay, I I will accept that. But I think that on the other side of of the river is that you know, there's a lot of Indians, um, including myself, we're, we're tired of the runaround and the game playing and the manipulation. And, uh, you, know, if, you know, in Obama, if he could sign the Indigenous Pact, that would be great. But, you know, we Indian people today, you know, we're still in, going through, I personally go through a lot of racism and a lot of oppression. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, you know, I'm not going to say nothing. No, I am going to say something. I want people out there in Radio Land to understand is that we Indian people need to manage our own lives, our own conditions. We must continue to recognize and point out to others that we do not want to live under better conditions, that we want to remember that we are Indians and that this country, that our Indian lands and homes are precious to us. And we want to see them not taken away by force. But we're still here, like somebody said. Somebody mentioned earlier about fixing it. I don't know about fixing. All I know is that Indian people. Like I said, a few of us we are tired of the runaround and the game playing that's been going on for years. And, Donna, I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, If there's some improvement, I'll accept that. But when I saw Governor LePage sign that treaty there, to me it was like a treaty. It scared me. It's like, uh uh-oh, what's going to happen next? So I'm asking the Indians of Old Town, don't be fooled. I'm not instigating trouble here. I'm just pointing my point of view. Do you you all understand? Mm
1: Mm-hmm yes we do
3: i don't i don't want i don't want somebody calling them and say well he's one of those militant Indians who want to start to, no that's not my i'm not i'm not i'm not promoting violence okay in the 70s in the movement did we all learn anything no we didn't learn nothing what i'm saying is, is that indian people need to remember we need to improve our conditions and our conditions of those are at home with our children you know, I understand the white man. When I do speakings at junior high schools and colleges, my theme is being Indian in white America. I know what it's like to be called a bad name. I know what it's like to be called a savage. I know what it's like when they tell me I need to sing Wimbledon Indians or, or sing Sambos. You know, I've been through it all. You know what? I'm strong today. I'm proud of my culture. I'm proud of my heritage. And you know what? I'm not going to be second class to nobody. This is our land. We need to protect it. And we need to continue to to preserve it, and we need to start with our children. And like I said, are you women are doing a great job. Yes, but I tell you, it scared me when I saw the page signed it. it. It almost like, oh my God, here we go again. But I'm tired of talking. But thank you, and, and God bless you all. Good. Thank you thank for you. your comments.
2: Thank you. Um, yeah, I. This is Denise. Um, I, I yes, you you are absolutely right about everything that you have said, and you know I know there are many places that people are working hard to deal with those things. And, you know, for me, this is one little piece of the whole picture. Um, and for me, it's a personal piece of the picture because I look at the whole experience that we've all gone through over generations and, and the, the history of genocide of our people. And, you know, and it, and it does make me really angry, but right now, the work that I'm doing um, as a native person, um, I had there was no um, reason for me to be tortured, raped, dehumanized, and treated the way that I did was because I was native. So that is the little piece of the puzzle that I'm um, able to put my effort into right now, and to make sure that no other little Indian child is raped, humanized, and tortured because of the color of their skin or because they're treated like a second-class citizen. And, um, you know, I, I, I understand people's skepticism, but um, the fact that LePage has um, come forward and been courageous in doing this piece of work that, to me, had nothing to do with politics um, on a personal level for me, it's, it's, it's what I need to do, and it's what I need him to do right now.
1: Yeah, and I, I kind of agree with that. I mean, you know, it, it's time to start healing and 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 start moving forward. And this is this is one way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, keeping in mind our history and, and yeah. being cautious. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes, Esther, yeah. you have a comment. Uh, so uh, yeah, I know that there's that kind of concern out there. Yeah. Uh, and 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 uh, you kept saying, you know, you women. Well, let me just tell you. That it's the women that move forward and that <laughs> <laughs> and that get things done and that takes action, and it always has been uh, that way in the Wabanaki yeah. uh, communities. And, it is, uh, and even in our our folk law, when we were in trouble, they would send the women off to look for Gluskabe, so yeah. <laughs> for help.
2: <laughs> so. I remember a long time ago, it was quite a few years ago, my husband was trying to get something going and so he used to do a lot of writing and so he wrote this one piece called Where Are All the Native Men? Um, <laughs> you know, because it's it's, you know, it, it is the women that um the especially in the the recent times that carry a lot of the burden and a lot of the pain. Yeah. And um so and, and
1: you know, and it's that time again and the women yeah. now are are out there, and, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna do some we're gonna do some some tough work, and uh, it's gonna get done. Yeah. So, all right. So this is uh, uh, Webanaki Windows. Uh, I'm your host, Donna Loring. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, you're listening to uh, Rolf Richter's uh, track of uh, Little Eagles, and my guests today have been uh, Esther Addian and the New South and our engineer is uh, Amy Brown. So thank you all for joining us, and hopefully you'll join us again next month for another Wabanaki Windows. Thank you.